0: This week on the Recruitment Flex, restaurants saying they're desperate for workers, but they're definitely not acting like it. Would you hire someone with a criminal record? We give you tips on how to get your candidates to open your emails and quiet quitting or just setting boundaries. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, the looks of the Recruitment Flex, and I'm joined by the brawn and the brain, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? It's going well,
1: Serge. And I have to admit, I'll go with that. Honestly, because you look so much better now that you've let your mustache and your goatee back to silver rather than just the mustache painted black. (laughs) That was pretty funny. You are the looks. You're the youth.
0: Oh, I I think a lot of people would argue that, but that's okay. But Shelly, I am very excited. We're 20 days away from HR Tech. How excited
1: are you? I wanted to go to HR Tech since the first time I heard about it. But for whatever reason, September is usually a very busy month for me. But this time, that's it. We're going. Flights are booked. Hotel is booked. Do you (laughs) want to maybe share with the audience our little arm wrestle over where to stay?
0: Okay. So I am a very practical person. I'm also pretty Mm -hmm. cheap, as you guys have heard on this podcast. And obviously, I screwed up because I didn't book the Mandalay Bay quick enough. So it sold out. So then looking at options, I look at a couple of things. It's like... How quickly can I get to where I need to be? And Mm -hmm. being in Vegas, I don't really want to go outside. What really intrigued me about Deluxer, it's only a five to ten minute walk inside to get to the Mandalay Bay. Unfortunately, Shelly had to read the reviews. I
1: googled what are the top ten worst hotels in Vegas. Why would you google
0: that? So you found this dude who's a travel blogger, Mm -hmm. put it on the list. Yeah. So, one person's opinion, I went through all the reviews and what it okay. told me is yes, the lobby is dated, which I don't care. I'm not spending any time in that lobby, albeit Mandalay Bay most of the time. The rooms are clean,
1: renovated.
0: That to me is the biggest thing. Okay. I-
1: so, listen, here's the deal search. I will be the first one to apologize and give you all the credit for all your research and prove me wrong. But I am of the belief that if they cannot have the care, attention or investment to have a good first impression, and that's the lobby, it makes me question, did they even change the sheets? Is there mold in the carpet? I'd be absolutely thrilled if I'm wrong. And believe me, everyone out there in listener land, I will apologize profusely. But I can tell you this, if the rooms are gross, I am checking out and I will go stay somewhere else.
0: That's a deal. If they are gross, you can check out. I'm not checking okay. out unless like there's a dead body under the bed. I'm okay. then like,
1: growing in the carpets or something growing in the yeah carpet. insects in the bed. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's,
0: it's going to be interesting old. because there's going to be a lot of HR technology providers there that probably have shitty tech right? overall, and I'm going to have to hold you back to not say to these companies that that shit don't to cat call the, them. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Don't heckle
1: them from the back. Don't heckle them when they're (laughs) presenting. Yeah. I think it's the other way around, sir. Yeah. No, there is some that I'm really excited to see as well. And so looking forward to meeting so many people that have been on the show, even companies I'm now doing business with, and I've never met them. We're going to have opportunities to meet some new vendors and do some on the spot interviewing. It's going to be a busy few days.
0: It is going to be a busy few days and we are going to interview people and you will hear it on the Recruitment Flex. We're not going to do full interviews, but we want to give our audience a bird's eye view of what's going on at HR Tech and who's really stealing the show. I'm pretty excited to meet a lot of people similar to you, a lot of vendors, a lot of people we've had on the show. Also, I've never physically met Chad and Cheese in person, so I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to meet people I've dealt a long time, like Chris Russell. Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. I do want to jump in. So Mm -hmm. last week, you had an update that Brooklyn finally got a job offer. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? What's the latest update here?
1: Yeah. A week ago today, she got the offer letter and it came on DocuSign. It had all the terms and conditions, offer of employment. So filled all that in, sent it back on DocuSign, and then nothing. Crickets. So we waited three days and she's like, mom, should I phone? Who should I follow up with? Because the offer just came from like a HR inbox. So there was nobody she could contact, but we did find somebody. She sent them an email just, hey, can you confirm that everything's okay on your end? Nothing. So waited another day. I said, well, why don't you text the person who interviewed you? So she did and said, just want to follow up, make sure that my offer letter returned okay, that I filled in everything properly. And she said, well, come in any day this week and do the paperwork.
0: Well, she already did the paperwork.
1: Well, that's what I thought. But there was more. She was there for an hour and a half filling in paperwork and still doesn't know when is the first shift? Is there a training? Like nothing. Oh, we'll let you know. Okay. Now we're like four weeks in, you know, Serge, take out of the equation that it's Brooklyn. But any hourly worker who realized that even once you do work your first couple of shifts, you may not see your first paycheck for another two or three weeks after that, depending on when cutoff is for payroll. For someone who maybe needs the money to survive, they would have gone somewhere else by now. Absolutely. You have to. Absolutely. So get that it's a part-time job. It's no skill, low skill, but it's an important role, right? Your customer's first impression is your hostess. Anybody who can go six weeks without any income is either independently wealthy or still lives with their mom and dad, right? I think about employers, especially in the hospitality industry, that are struggling to find workers. And based on this one experience, I'm thinking the struggle is that your recruitment process is busted. Like, It shouldn't take this long, even if you do find someone and everyone certainly this summer and in the spring was saying candidates are ghosting them. Let's back up the bus here. How much time elapsed from interview to offer to first day of work and when will they get their first paycheck? They need a decision and be working in five days.
0: So this is a restaurant hostess. No experience. You're judging the personality, how they present themselves, and you should be able to get an idea of that during the interview. We have overcomplicated this whole recruitment process. It should be the simplest thing in the world. Comes in for an interview, is a good fit. Here is your offer. Boom. How about let's fill out your paperwork right now. While you're here. Yes. While you're here, let's get everything done. I'm going to call you in two days with your first shift. That's it. That's done. I don't know why it needs to go
1: way more in-depth for that particular well, role. But we do know, Serge, because we're in the business, right? Their recruitment process is broken. I've got a client who runs hiring events in person, online. They're in Tennessee. And they will interview on the spot, hire on the spot, fill in the paperwork right there. They get an offer letter within 24 hours with their shift.
0: Well, that's how it should be. And this is
1: a huge global corporation. Their operations are tens of thousands of people across the US. When it comes to a well-oiled machine, all the recruitment, advertising, hiring, and onboarding, and it's happening within days, you know, when you start your first shift within 24 hours. Is that too fast? I don't know. Their no-show rate is very low.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's too fast. The risk of the other side is you nailed it at the start. A lot of these people need to start working right away and start collecting pay. They're mm -hmm. paying rent, they're paying food, all of these things. And generally, they're going to apply to seven to 10 very similar jobs. So if you are delayed in any way, it's probably already too late. You're going to lose them, but there's no excuses for this. You cannot complain about candidates ghosting you that you can't find workers when this is what you put a candidate through, that they have to chase you down to figure out when they're going to start working. And you don't have your shit in line that you can't properly onboard them. Anyways, give us an update next week. Yeah. Before we go into the recruitment insights, I did want to call out something else. One of the things that we're testing is we want to bring practitioners and talent acquisition leaders onto the show and dig into their process, what works, what doesn't. So if you are a talent acquisition leader mm-hmm. or a practitioner, and you would like to come under Recruitment Flex, don't hesitate to reach out to Shelly yeah, or myself. Yeah, we'd love to hear
1: from you. You know, when I was in the chair of a practitioner- I'd love to know what other people are doing. Like, how do you structure your team? Do you have a recruitment coordinator? What is the workload? Like all of those things.
0: Yes, please. If yeah. your listener would love to be part of the show, please reach out to mm-hmm. myself and Shelley. Probably the easiest is on LinkedIn, or you can go to the recruitmentflex.com, mm-hmm. go into contact us and reach us there. But yes, we are going to have our first practitioner interview. I think it's going to be released in around three weeks from now. Looking forward to get your feedback on that.
1: There's one more thing. This week we had Lou Adler as a guest on our Tuesday show. He made a closing statement and I know you and he had some discussion back and forth on LinkedIn around job boards and this kind of thin ice, right? You built your career on job boards. Talk to me about Your thoughts now to rebut Lou's opinion that job boards have ruined the candidate's landscape.
0: I get where he's coming from. But first of all, fantastic interview. And if you Mm -hmm. haven't listened to that one, you have to, because the insights and the knowledge that he was able to share when it came to interviewing and selection Probably the best interview we've done. The guy has a million followers on LinkedIn. And basically the first influencer or the OG HR famous person. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, tons of valuable information. He's been doing it for a very long time and seen the landscape change. And you have as well, Shelly. And I have in some ways. When I first came into the job market, it was very tough. To see where the jobs are. You'd look at the newspaper on a Saturday, there'd be like six, seven job ads and probably thousands of applicants for those six job ads. The other way was looking for help wanted in the mall or you're driving, you see we hiring. And if you could get a job, even though it was the worst place to work, you just stayed because you didn't know what your options were. Then came the advent of job boards and now gave the job seeker, hey, there are all these jobs out there Mm -hmm. and there is opportunity for me to go look for a job that I like. Job seekers have been telling us that the number one place they go look for jobs are job boards because they know it's legit. They Mm -hmm. know that's where most companies will post their jobs. So, Long story short, he did feel that the minute the job boards did come in, it cheapened the job. It made it more commodity instead of, I'd be so lucky to work that job. I get where he's coming from, but I don't agree at all. I think job boards have had more positive than minus. But what's your take, Shelley?
1: You'd get no argument from me, for sure. No one's going back to printing out copies of their resume and standing in line at the reception desk to hand them your resume. Because honest to God, pounding the pavement is where that whole saying started. So that way of thinking that you need to work hard to get the job, which makes the job more meaningful, only to find out that your new supervisor, your new boss is an asshole. And then you got to do it all over again. You're right. That's why people stayed. There's no going back. There's no going no going back.
0: But well, let's jump into recruitment insights right now. One of okay. the things that we talk a lot about is the labor mismatch of how many job seekers, how many employers. That is not going to change. There is going to be way more jobs than employees for a very long time. As talent acquisition people, we have to start looking at how we can do a better job. One of the things is looking at those talent pools that are really Underserved, and and there's a lot of bias against them every week for the next couple weeks. I want to bring one up that hey, you should be digging into this talent pool. And today, I wanted to talk to you about people with criminal records. Fact in Canada, there's 3.8 million people that have a criminal record, that's 15% of the potential workforce from 18 to 65. In the US, man, it's crazy in the US because. 70 million Americans have a criminal record. And those people, the unemployment rate is 30%. Let's go back to what the unemployment rate is in each country. Canada is like 4.5%, basically no unemployment. And in the US, it's even lower, it's 3.5%. But still, you have this big demographic of people that have done their time, have served their debt to society but we're not willing to
1: hire them. What's your take on this? So here's the thing, search criminal record does not immediately equate to jail time. You can yes. have a criminal record for drunk driving. Yes. You didn't go to prison unless you killed somebody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And manslaughter is a very different charge than someone who was 18 or 19 years old and made a stupid decision to drive while impaired. The, Immediate bias against someone who's got a criminal record is just that. It is this perception that somehow you've got, you know, prison tattoos and that you are unemployable because you have been in prison. Criminal records is a very broad category. I get it when it is relevant to the job to do a criminal record check on someone who's going to be your bookkeeper. It's probably a good idea because if they have any sort of theft in their background, you probably want to know that before you give them access to your bank account. So there's things that are absolutely relevant, but you're right. I think in general, if you have a criminal record for some stupid thing you did as a kid, how long ago the offense was, what was the offense and how is it relevant to the job that you're applying for. Now that's in a normal rational world. Well, that doesn't always apply. I would say in talent acquisition, I know my personal experience, I really had to question why are we doing this? Because if the job would never have contact with a vulnerable population, meaning children or seniors, then why are we doing a criminal background check for somebody who's going to be in customer service, on the phone all day. I know there's much debate around it. I think it does open up more talent pools if we have a process in place versus this blanket statement that we won't hire anybody who's got a criminal record.
0: I don't think we realize how big that talent pool. I was shocked by the 3.8 million people in Canada have a criminal record. I was even more shocked by 70 million. And million. You're right, doesn't mean they serve jail time. But they have a criminal record and most companies do a background check that can automatically reject you. Some companies just do it to know and they might not reject you. But this is where we talk about inclusive language in your job ads. If you're saying you're going to need to pass a background check, put some caveats behind it because you don't want those people to automatically not apply to that job. Shelly, I've been waiting to talk to you about this next recruitment insight for a week because I think that's how long this has existed. But it's taken over the talent world is the whole talk about quiet quitting. I want to give you a concept of quiet quitting and what it means to two different kind of audiences. It basically came out of a TikTok video of a gentleman coming out saying, it doesn't mean I've left my job. But I have really limited my tasks to strictly what's in my job description and I avoid working longer hours. They want to do the minimum to get the job done and set clear boundaries to improve their work-life balance. They're still fulfilling their job duties. They're still doing their job, but they have decided that I am not going to go above my job description. You're paying me for 40 hours I am going to work 40 hours. I'm not going to work 50. I'm not going to work 60. If you pile on work five minutes before five o'clock, well, it's not going to get done. I'll get to it in the morning. So that is what they call quiet quitting. The flip side and how other people have seen it, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank and Dragon's Den here in Canada was the first that came out. They're like, if you're quiet quitting, you're a fucking loser. And obviously business owners don't like this. They wouldn't like it because they've been taking advantage of employees for a very long time, putting a lot more work than what's in the job
1: description. So, Shelley, I want to know what you think about this. Thank you, Serge. Because I found it interesting. Kevin O'Leary is of a certain demographic, shall we say, and there are those who really believe that you should sacrifice your health, your family, your marriage, your relationships, because nothing means more than being in the spotlight and being successful. So I wouldn't expect Kevin O'Leary to say anything else, quite Mm -hmm. honestly. But here's the whole point. For me, anyways, if you have the discipline to be working your 40 hours and do the very best you can in those 40 hours, if you are well-rested, you're not distracted by all the other things you need to do to make your life work, then you can focus on those 40 hours that you're being paid to work, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be as productive because you're only there for 40 hours. I think it's just the opposite. So those that don't like it are from that generation that believes you need to stay until the boss leaves. And you know where I'm going with this, right? If the boss is sleeping in his office, then that means he's somehow more dedicated than you are. You know, we've talked about that before as well. No, it doesn't. It just means he has everything to gain by making sure everybody's working hard every hour of the day. And his presence is intimidating enough to make sure we're all working every hour of the day. Doesn't mean they're doing quality work. And unless they're being paid overtime, what is the incentive for me to do this? I mean, so many employers, because you're on salary, believe that you're not eligible for overtime. That's not true. Unless you're in management, you are eligible for overtime and you should be paid overtime or you should leave on time. You know, I'm not saying let's split hairs over 10 minutes. Like your example of I'm going to drop this huge project on you and expect you to stay another two hours. No, I'll make sure I get to it first thing in the morning right? That's probably a more realistic way to manage expectations. I applaud those who can get their job done in 40 hours because that's all it should take you.
0: that's all it should take you based on your job descriptions. In early 2010, 2015, it was the age of the hustle culture, the grinding, the girl boss, all of this where there was a lot of value put behind people that Did a ton of work. I still think there's a lot of hustling and grinding and girl bossing, but it's done on their own time and it's done at their own value because employers should never expect employees to work as hard as they do. If that's the expectation, if you're an employer and you expect your employees to work as hard and give a fuck as much as you do. Man, you're off base. You're in a tough position because that's just not how it works. It used to be everyone cared about promotions. Everyone cared about getting promoted into the next step. And this is how they held you hostage. This is how they got you to do all this extra work. Because if you put in the work. The carrot. Yep. Yeah, you're going to get promoted, which... I get it. That makes sense. But I think getting promoted in their work is not as critical. They rather build their own side thing, something they can get really passionate because they've realized I'm grinding this all out to make the company more money and I get nothing from it. Maybe I'll get promoted. I'll make a little bit more. But then the workload just Increases. So it's a never ending cycle. The generation behind us, millennials and Gen Z, are realizing our parents were crazy. Why were they doing this? Mm -hmm. We can make money in different ways and not be held to the corporation of those expectations. So, the one thing that I do want to call out if getting promoted is your thing and that's what's important to you and you want to move up the corporate ladder ignore quiet quitting and keep doing what you've been doing and keep working those extra hours. Quiet quitting has been the word of the week, but I think it's just overblown because some people have been quiet quitting for a long time. But I think the pandemic really put in perspective of,
1: yeah, Yeah. I'm just going to work my 40 hours. Well, I think in the old days, they called it work to rule in unionized environments where if you had a beef with management, then everybody would just work to rule, which is You work to 51% of your job because you can't be fired if you're working 51% of your job description. There's nothing new really about this. We've not seen it before with non-unionized work environments where white collar or non-union because in the union world, they've been doing this since the (laughs) 1930s.
0: (laughs) Well, the flip side too, right? Employers have been quiet firing for decades. Exactly. Like there's someone that you want to get rid of and you don't want to pay. You basically make their life as miserable as possible for yeah. the longest amount of time so they quit on their own. So quiet firing has been a thing for decades. It's just being flipped on its head.
1: Yeah. For sure. There's something I wanted to talk about as well, Serge, a different topic though. What we have talked about consistently over the last few weeks is that the train left the station when it comes to publishing pay rates or pay ranges. But I had to wonder if recruiters have all the tools that they need when it comes to candidates now wanting to negotiate what their offer is going to be. I know we've spoken about it many times over the last couple of years about should candidates negotiate the offer or should you be transparent from the very first conversation with a candidate about what this job pays. Well, now that it's all public and we are now publishing a range for a a job, can you explain to them why we're about to offer them the lowest end of the range? Because you and I both know the candidate, when they see a range is 36 to 42. They would immediately say, I do that job for 42, but now we're going to pay you 36. Yeah. Do you believe that recruiters have the tools and the information to have that conversation with candidates about how decisions are made when an offer is going out? Well, it's going to put a lot of pressure
0: down on recruiters. I think this is a total rewards challenge with organization. They're really going to have to justify the pay rate and what is the difference. There's no structure in most organizations to determine why someone should be paid at a particular range. You bring up a really good point. We might be screwed here because what's gonna happen is the recruiters be like, We're offering you thirty-six dollars an hour. And they're be like, I was expecting forty-five because that's the high range and I met all the requirements. How are you gonna counter that unless you have a very clear definition of why you would pay someone at a particular rate compared to someone else? I don't know. What's your thing, Shelly? You're way stronger on this side than I am when it comes to compensation.
1: Well, I mean, that's why I'm posing the question because I know recruiters are in favor of posting the pay rates. It makes their jobs so much easier in the sourcing side of things. But as we get to the offer side, you know, we will risk all that hard work. We posted the pay range. Everybody knows what it pays. And then losing candidates at the 11th hour is even more time wasting. I would say to recruiters and talent acquisition out there, Get with your HR business partners and get a thorough education on how compensation makes those decisions. Because again, when you're using language on your job ad that says, ideally five to 10 years experience, don't say ideally and give this ridiculous range of five to 10 years. Would you really hire somebody at five? I could be fully qualified with my experience at five years and expect to be paid the top end of the range. Because I am fully capable of doing this job. So I think it's going to cause a bit of a challenge for recruiters in the short term. In the long term, it's way better off for everyone. Yes. I agree.
0: I think it's the right thing and I think this is one of those structural items that we have to get our house in order and have a really good story. It puts a lot of pressure on HR and total comp to be able to help the recruiters determine what that means. I don't think it's the recruiter's duty to figure that out, but the questions are going to come to them. So, really good insight, Shelley. I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that's going to be an issue for sure. I did want to talk about every time that I see a real practitioner or someone that's in the business, like one of our favorites, Tim Sackett, I always read his articles. And I saw one that goes into the story of like, why is no one opening your emails? And I'll tell you, if you look at my inbox, 70% of my emails are not open. It drives people crazy. But unless I know who's emailing me or it's got something that's enticing. I'm not opening any type of marketing emails generally unless I've subscribed to it. So Tim Sackett wrote about the four things that work really well in getting people to open emails. And I'm going to go quickly through them, Shelly, and we can talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about it. Using a brand name. If you use big brand names like Apple, Google, Nike, in your subject line increases your odd greatly of getting someone to open your, your emails. Well, how can I do that? I'm not Nike. I'm not Google but you could use something like three ways we are a better place to work than Apple in your subject line. That would pique my interest. So right, clever. Shelley? Very clever. Very clever. Yeah. Short titles, obviously. I, I don't know if I agree with all of them. Are we paying too much? Or I've got a quick question. It's scientifically proven that you are going to get more people to open your email. Doesn't mean they're going to respond to you, but I probably agree. If it's a long title, mm-hmm. I'm not reading it. Negative. This seems counterintuitive, he says. It it actually works. Like saying something like how candidates fall in their face.
1: Yeah. It's like watching a train wreck.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Then the other one was surprises. Completely different viewpoint from what people would expect. Something like punching your boss can get you a raise. Older workers have more energy than millennials. Hiring dumb people. Like all of those types of subjects is shock value. Yeah. If you are one of the few people that actually go source people and send emails, I definitely recommend (laughs) you go read this quick article and and take some of those tips. And I always advise in this game, you have to AB test all the time. You have to test different messages and see what works. If something works, you stick with it until it doesn't work. And you keep AB testing because there is a lot of value in going after those candidates, not waiting for them to apply. And partly it's, we're not order takers. We are supposed to be reaching out to candidates that could be a good fit for a job.
1: Mm-hmm. Thoughts? What's your thoughts? Well, you know, I'm a big Tim Sackett fan. This is really a page right out of Marketing 101, applied to recruiting. Because I remember reading an article oh, a couple of years ago that had the 101 best lines to get attention when you're using this for selling a product or service. But leave it to Tim to help us connect those dots and draw a line because we know that we are more closely related to marketing than we are HR. I can just see if you went to legal and said you were going to send out an email that said five reasons why it's better working here than Amazon, legal would have nothing to do with it. If you told HR you were doing that, oh my God, I tell you, they they would never allow it. So this is why we need to line ourselves up right behind marketing and take a cue from them if you're going to be different, if you're going to be brave, if you're going to be unique, you may need to go out on a limb. And sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission.
0: A hundred percent. And you're right. This is something you take from marketing. You're not taking this from HR. HR is going to be concerned about compliance and all this bullshit that- it, We're it going to jail. <laughs>
1: exactly. You can't use Apple in your email. Yeah, screw that. We'll be sued.
0: <laughs> yeah, who cares? Sue us. Like Apple is really going to sue you over- Joe Recruiter that sent uh, an email to 100 candidates that said, we're better than Apple. Come on. There's compliance and there's overcompliance and just being uptight or just being an HR Karen. So I think that falls exactly (laughs) in that category. Perfect. Really good episode. I want to move to the last thing. The HR Tech Awards have come out and will be announced at the HR Tech, but I want to give a shout out, Caitlin and Jason Putnam. Have been fantastic to Recruitment Flex, and I want to congratulate them because they were named one of the winners for their product, the Plum Leadership Potential. If you haven't checked out Plum, and believe me, I am one of those people that does not really believe in employment assessments, but they do it such in a unique way, and it actually drives value for the job seekers. Congratulations to Plum. I can't wait to see you at HR Tech because we're going to talk about that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Congratulations, Caitlin. I was very happy to see them on the list and they'll get my vote for top tech for sure.
0: And the other one quickly is Candidate ID, now Isim's market automation and they won as well. We know Adam Gordon had a fantastic product and obviously Isim's bought them. So congratulations to them. Shelly, we covered a lot. We had a lot of fun, hopefully, for the audience to give you insights. And don't Mm. forget, if you're a practitioner and you want to talk about what you've done in talent acquisition and how you've set up your company would love to have you on. So please reach out to us.
1: Great. Thanks for another great episode, Serge. We will talk soon. Bye bye. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes?